Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We're a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. Well, God is certainly good. Amen? All right. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Mark, the Gospel of Mark. We're going to pick up kind of where, well, we are going to pick up where we left off last time. Um, Mark chapter 12. And I want to thank Paul Davis for filling in for me last week so I could get away uh, real quick uh, for just a little weekend. Uh, now, I, I do think I have a, a picture here of maybe the playground. Yeah, new phase on the playground. Uh, so I want to go ahead and just do a public thank you to uh, Black Fox Elementary School for uh, donating uh, the playground equipment and to our deacons who have worked throughout COVID to make this a possibility. So phase one is done. And uh, I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you, the deacons have now proved that they can, they can do some major damage. Uh, you know, construction damage. But, you know, uh, we're super excited. So if you have time today on this beautiful fall afternoon, go, go check that out. Uh, phase one is, is done there. So Mark, Mark's gospel, uh, picking up in Mark chapter 12. And we're going to ask this question, uh, what's the value? It's that time of year again, and we are at our house planning a, a uh, yard sale. And so there is uh, the question that we keep asking ourselves, what is this worth? Uh, is this worth anything? Is this the trash pile? Is this the sale pile? Is this the keep pile? What, what is this worth, really? And so uh, if you've ever done a yard sale, you, you realize that it's all worth about a quarter, right? That's about what it's worth. That's what they're going to ask you to, you know, I hey, have about a quarter for that. And you're going to go, fine, just take it. Just, just get it out of here. Uh, there was an auction that took place about, for a painting back uh, in 2018, in Oct- October of 2018. And it was a picture This painting was from a guy named Banksy, which is an English uh, artist. And as you can tell there, this picture, it it actually went up for auction and sold for $1.4 million. Uh, If you don't know the story about this, you can see that half of the picture is shredded, right? So Banksy, what he did is he said, if if my painting ever goes up for auction, he rigged in a a paper shredder into into the frame there. And as soon as the guy said, sold, boom, he went, and just started to destroy itself, but then it malfunctioned. And so it's half shredded and half not shredded and is now worth more than $1.4 million because it's a one-of-a-kind from Banksy. Isn't that amazing? Don't you, think it, don't you think it would be awesome if it really had worked and the whole thing shredded after you paid $1.4 million for it and it was just shredded paper? I thought that was a remarkable story. What's it worth? That's really the question we're asking. Uh, that's not worth $1.4 million. But Jesus, in this transition, now we know that Jesus has gone into the temple the first day, he, he triumphal entry. So I'm going to give you a little background of where we are in the story. Triumphal entry, walks into the temple, looks around, leaves. The next morning, he curses the fig tree uh, as a precursor of what he's going to do as he goes in and he cleanses the temple. And then he comes back the next day, he begins to teach in the temple, and then they begin to send wave after wave after wave of people to attack Jesus, to trick him up on his words so that they can have him arrested or turned over to the Romans. And so Jesus is in the middle of this, of all this that's going on. And this is kind of the transition that takes place. Mark chapter 12, verses 32 through 34. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. 
And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him another question. No one dared ask him more questions. It's much more than. There's this point where they're asking question after question after question, and Jesus is about to give a rebuttal because they're not going to ask any more questions. But the truth is is that Jesus is leading to this point to say, listen, there's something that's way more valuable than anything you're talking about. None of these disputable matters that you're talking about, there's something that's way more valuable, and it's knowing who Jesus Christ is. Augustine said this, Christ is not valued at all unless he is valued above all. Christ is not valued at all unless he's valued above all. So how much value does Jesus hold in your life? What's he worth? This is the question that now Jesus is going to throw back on those who are listening because he knows that the cross is just two days away. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for your word. The truth that has already been presented this morning, the gospel. Lord, we thank you for the testimony of Chris. We thank you for the testimony of the gospel that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. That you had a plan in place from the very beginning of Genesis to redeem those who you've called. Father, we thank you that we stand here and sit here today able to sing songs of praise, knowing who you are and holding up your value above all else. Father, it is our prayer that we would value Christ above all else, that you would take the number one spot in all of our hearts. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I hope you have your uh, papers ready and pencils ready because you're going to have to take some notes because I'm going to fly through some covenants real quick. But I want you to see that the value of a right messiahship. Jesus gets to the point that if you're going to understand this section of scripture, then you have to have a right understanding of Jesus as Christ or Jesus as the Messiah. And so verse 35, he says this, and he uses Psalm 110 as he's teaching. And Jesus taught in the temple and he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself is the whole, in, in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he, his son, And the great throng heard him gladly. Jesus begins to declare that the Messiah is the Lord by using a messianic psalm that was written by David by the power of the Holy Spirit. I know that's deep, but this is kind of where he's going. He's saying, look, if you want to know what really is valuable, you got to understand who the Messiah is. And Jesus is the Messiah that is the long-awaited one. John MacArthur says, you cannot be wrong about your Christology and receive the gift of salvation. So the most important thing for any of us to gather and to grasp today is that Jesus Christ is the long-awaited Messiah. The, and, and in fact, this word Messiah in the Greek term is Christos. And the Hebrew term Messiah is where we get the English words Christ and Messiah, which both mean the same thing, which is anointed one. So this is the one that they've waited on. This is the one that they've longed for, for years and years and years. And so Jesus is there in the temple. He's teaching. They're coming up with all these questions. And he says, look, you need to have a right messiahship. You need to know a right Christology. You need to have it settled of who Jesus really is, because a correct Christology and a right messiahship is rooted in covenantal theology. I had no idea that Chris was going to share these verses today. And so evidently God is leading us in this direction today that we need to understand that from the foundations of the world that God had a plan, a plan of redemption, and it revolved around himself coming in a man, Jesus Christ. 
In Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. From the very beginning, as Chris said, there was a promise that was made that God was going to redeem the world through the offspring. And so they're waiting on this Messiah. And so we get to the Abrahamic covenant found in Genesis 17, 1 through 4. And God's going to begin to make covenants with his people for the redemption of his people. When Abram was 99 years old, way too old to have babies, right? The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. He begins to make a covenant with Abram. And he said, This is the covenant I'm going to make. I'm going to make your offspring into a great nation. This then uh, comes to pass with the Mosaic covenant. As God is leading his people out of Egypt, in Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8, he says, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, but it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has redeemed you from the house of slavery. This promise that was made to Abram is now seen in the Mosaic Covenant that he is keeping his word, the word that he said to their fathers that he is a covenant-keeping God. This goes into the Davidic covenant, the one that Jesus is now referring to when he's talking about Psalm 110. I know this is a lot, but I, you, to understand these verses, you've got to understand the covenantal theology. The Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel 7, 16 through 17, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So David gets this promise that his kingly line will have the Messiah, that there will be an established kingdom forever and ever. And as we know, as time went on, the kingship, the earthly kingship was done away with, but God was not done with the lineage of David. There's a new covenant in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 32. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. There's going to be a new covenant, a covenant of grace. As Jesus is talking to the scribes in the temple, he's saying, look, let me throw you all the way back to Psalm 110, where we talk about a Messianic covenant, that there's one that's supposed to come that you're longing for, that's going to overthrow, that you want to overthrow the, gover the government, the Romans, and kick them out. Let me tell you something. There's something deeper going on here than besides a man that's coming up to be a king in the lineage of David. No, there's a new covenant that's going to be accomplished through Jesus Christ. This is why Hebrews would say these things. So Jesus also becomes the guarantee of a better covenant. Hebrews 7:22. Hebrews 9.15, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the, promise, the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. This is, this is remarkable. And I, you know, someone who loves theology, just I'd nerd out on this. But the fact that every covenant that comes forth is by God, is accomplished by God and is done by God and is finally fulfilled by God because we can't do it. it. We failed every single time. 
Every single time, every transgression we, we had underneath the first covenant, we can never be good enough to be in a right relationship with God. So Jesus came so that we could have a right relationship with him. He fulfilled the covenant that we couldn't fulfill. Woo, right? Yeah, theology. Okay, so, you know, each covenant is initiated by God as a covenant of promise and a covenant of grace. Jesus is the promise of God and the grace of God given to the people of God. So Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the long-awaited one that they've waited for. And so now he's standing in the temple and he's teaching to them. And he's saying, if you want to know what's most essential, it's to know who Jesus is. However, he did not fit what they thought the Messiah would be. Jesus did not meet their expectations because they expected the coming king to be like David and to, be, and to reestablish Israel as an independent nation to overthrow Rome. He just didn't fit what they thought. They were looking for a political leader. They were looking for somebody like David that could take down Goliath. They were looking for somebody who would, who would come in and lead their nation to freedom. And that's exactly what Jesus did, but he did it in a different way. He's not just from the lineage of David. As he says, he's Lord. He's Lord. He's God in the flesh. The people just didn't get it. I love this story in Luke chapter 24, if you want to flip over there with me. Luke chapter 24, this is the day of the resurrection. This is the third day. And these people, they're walking on the road to Emmaus, and they're having this conversation, and Jesus kind of shows up, and he begins to walk with them. And this is, this is kind of how it goes. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still and looked, looking sad. I mean, it just stops them in their tracks. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Are you the only person who doesn't know what's been going on? Why would you ask us what, what is happening here? Verse 19. And then he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Did you hear that? We had hoped that he was going to be the Messiah. We had hoped, but turns out they killed him. He was just, he was just a man. He, he didn't throw, overthrow the Roman government. So it turns out they think that it's not him. And he says, yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. He's been dead for three days, verse 25. And he said to them, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? He's like, is it not necessary that the Christ, the Messiah, would suffer and die? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So here's what, here's what Jesus does. Let me explain this to you. He goes back to the covenantal theology and he says, look, starting with Moses, let me explain to you what has been said in Scripture over and over and over and over concerning the Messiah and the Christ, and you still missed it. So they drew near to a village to which were, they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged 
him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took some bread, and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. I love this part. And he vanished from their sight. Right? Isn't that a cool? I mean, I, I think my appetite would be gone. Wouldn't yours? And you're like, here, have some bread. And he's gone. What? I love this. This is, this is Jesus. This is Jesus showing up and saying, look, you, you were looking for something, and you missed it. Because he's not just a man from the lineage of David. Even though Matthew takes the whole beginning to give a genealogy of Joseph, and well, that's an adopted dad. Well, then Luke will take an entire beginning to talk about the lineage from Mary. So both show that he comes from the line of David. He is the Messiah. He is the promised one. And it says, we want you to know that what he has done is said in the prophets. I'm just going to take two quick ones. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom. Jesus is the promised one that came from the lineage of David. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So even though the Davidic line had been cut down, there was a new sprout. There was a new one that rose up. It was Jesus Christ from the line of David. And so Jesus, verse 35, he's teaching them in the temple. The whole reason he gets to this Psalm 110 is to, to tell them this. And Jesus taught them the temple and he said, How can the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he a son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Jesus is answering the question that he received back in Mark chapter 11. By what authority do you do these things? And he's saying, I do them by the authority that I'm the Lord. I'm not just a man from the lineage of David. I'm the Lord. The Holy Spirit declared through David that I'm the Lord. The Lord declares that I'm the Lord. Jesus is interpreting the psalm to show them that he's not just a mere mortal, but he is God in the flesh Jesus is interpreting the psalm for these scribes by telling them that David, who wrote the psalm and the Holy Spirit, is saying that God himself, creator of the universe, has designated a position for the Messiah at his own right hand, the place of ultimate authority. This is a remarkable thought that Jesus is going to sit at the right hand of the Father. He's going to sit at the right hand. God identifies the Messiah as Lord taking place at the right hand, which makes him co-equal, co-equal in rank, in authority, and deity. You want to know who the Messiah is? The Messiah is the Lord. David declared by the power of the Holy Spirit that he's Lord. Mark ends his gospel with this in chapter 16, verse 19. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and set down where? The right hand of God. Acts 7, 55 through 56, and the stoning of Stephen. But he, full of the Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing where? at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Paul says in Romans 8, 34, 
Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So we have Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah, the long-awaited one, who was not just a man from the lineage of David, but he is Lord. He's been Lord. The Holy Spirit calls him Lord. The Lord calls him Lord. And he's standing at the right hand of the Father. And what's he doing? He's interceding for us because we couldn't fulfill the covenant, but he fulfilled it on our behalf. Yes, you're getting it. This is great, isn't it? Man, this is good stuff. Hebrews 1.3, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe with the word of His power. And making purification, after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is the Christ. We need a right Christology. We need a right Messiahship to understand who Jesus really is. So here's the gist of what Jesus is getting at. With these scribes, if God calls Jesus Lord, and if David in the power of the Holy Spirit calls Jesus Lord, then do you call him Lord? This is the question he poses to these scribes, the people who know the scriptures. If, these, if this is what the Bible teaches, then who do you say Jesus is? This is the same question that we have to ask ourselves today. It was C.S. Lewis who famously penned the, the, uh, the phrase, Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. He's a liar, and he was just a, he was just a magician. He, he did things that made you think something. He sleight of hand, you know, did all these miracles. Or he's a lunatic. He would be like David Koresh for the Branch Davidians, right? You know, he actually said, if the Bible is true, then I'm Christ. I think we can all say he was a lunatic. Or Jesus really is Lord. God calls him Lord. David, by the power of the Holy Spirit, calls him Lord. And, he's, and after making purification for our sins, after completing the covenant of grace that we couldn't do on our own, he sits down at the right hand of the Father where he has all power and authority and control, and he's interceding for those who have put their faith in him. What a remarkable truth of God's grace and his goodness in verse 37, David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And a great throng heard him gladly. What a condemning verse. Because the great throng who heard him gladly in a few days will cry out, crucify him. He's only two days away from the cross. You see, enjoying the teachings of Jesus isn't the same as applying the teachings of Jesus. So many Christians acknowledge the truth of Jesus as Lord, yet negate the application of surrendering to Jesus as Lord. The scribes, they had such great understanding of God's word, and yet Jesus now takes Psalms 110 and says, let me teach you what this really means. You can know that Jesus is Lord, but have you surrendered to him as Lord? I don't know who said this, but they said, Revelation brings responsibility the more you know, the greater is your accountability. I'm going to be honest with you, us who are here this morning, possibly who have been raised in Christian homes, raised in churches our entire life, who know story after story after story from the Bible, God has been revealed to us over and over and over. And just because we know the stories doesn't mean we've ever applied the lordship of Jesus to our life. 
what value does Christ have in your life? The second thing is this, the value of a right mindset. And in this teaching, verse 38, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feast, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive a greater condemnation. Jesus uses this word, beware, watch out. I've told you before that if you walk into someone's yard and you see a beware of dog, then you watch out for a dog, right? You, you're not going to walk in there unalarmed. You're going to be on high alert because it says beware of chihuahuas. So, yeah, okay. Beware of false teachers, scribes, and false Christianity pretense. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but David Platt puts it this way. People who claim to be Christians while living, while their lives look no different from the rest of the world are clearly not Christians. We live in polarizing times where there's a lot of people who claim Christianity, yet their lives show no surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. They have a wrong Christology, a wrong Messiahship. It reminds me of someone who goes to school to learn a trade. Maybe they go to school to become an electrician. And so they spend year after year after year learning the trade of elect being an electrician. And so they take test after test. They learn all about currents. They learn all about electricity flow, which I know nothing about, right? I'm just making this up. You know, and they're learning all of these different things. And when it comes to final exam time, they make a 100. I mean, they know everything there is about electricity. They take that and they say, look, I made 100. I'm, I'm best of the class. And they're like, okay, great. We want you to go wire this house. I've never actually done it. I, I don't really know how to do it. I just know all the information. There's many Christians who say, oh, I know a lot about Jesus. I know a lot of information. I mean, I can, I can ace the, you know, VBS questions. You know, I know all those things. Well, I've never really applied Jesus to my life. Beware, Jesus says, of scribes. Beware of professing information with no life transformation. He says, watch out. Because the tendency is that if you know a lot, you may not apply a lot. Beware of the scribes who walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at feast. He says, beware of pursuing the acceptance from others over the application of truth. A lot of Christianity today is more concerned about acceptance than it is truth. People change their theology. They change the way they interpret the Bible because they fear that they won't be accepted Reminds me of Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, in verses 3 through 5 and verse 8. He said, Beloved, I, although I'm very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for, for, for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt. Now, Jesus gets credit for saving people out of Egypt. Afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. Verse 8, 
Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. He says, look, there's people who have a lot of knowledge, yet deny the truth. There's a lot of people who pervert the grace of God for, sensu- for sensuality, for their feelings, for what they, what they think makes them happy. Jesus would say, beware of false teachers, beware of false pretense, beware of knowing but not applying, beware of perverting the grace of God for personal pleasure and public acceptance. I can't tell you how many people on Facebook, and I'm just going to use that as an example, will say, I'm a Christian, and yet they support all of these things that support people's sensuality and sexual practices that are not congruent with God's word. Beware of excusing sin while acting spiritual. Beware of excusing the sin that's in your life while acting spiritual. I read a story about a woman who wrote a letter to her pastor. This is not a personal story, okay? I'm not like, I once heard a story about, no, I'm not doing that. I actually read a story about a lady who wrote to her pastor to inform her pastor that she had found someone and fallen madly in love with him. She said to her pastor that they were beginning to live together. She further stated that God had brought them together in spite of the fact that they were both married to other people. You can't say God's leading you to do something that's contrary to his word because he's Lord. A right messiahship, a right Christology means that he's Lord. He's not just a man from the lineage of David. He's the Lord, God in the flesh, who came to make the covenant work on our behalf, the covenant of grace, the covenant of mercy. There's the last thing. I'll close with this one, the the value of right motivation. Verse 41, after teaching Jesus, when he sat down opposite of the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box, many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. I like what Danny Aiken says. He says, on the top of, topic of money, there's two things that are certain. Number one, the Bible has a lot to say about it. Number two, no one likes to hear it, right? So the good news for you today is that this is not a story on tithing. This is not a story about really our responsibility to give. It's just an everyday incident that illustrates the contrast between those who serve God out of hypocrisy and those who serve him out of spiritual devotion. It's simply an object lesson that Jesus stops and he says, disciples, I want you to see this. This lady, her heart's in the right place. She values me more than her own life because she has nothing to give and she gave all. Jesus points out the object lesson of valuing God. Mark tells us that she brought two copper coins or two mites, as another version would say, which together made up one thirty-second of a denarius, which was a day's wage. Really, this was the smallest amount of money that she could, she could bring. 
And Jesus points out the fact that the wealthy people were giving out of what they could spare. And yet this lady had nothing to spare, but she gave all that she had. When we value Jesus as Lord, we don't just give what we can spare. We don't give our spare time. We don't give our spare money. We don't give our spare resources and our spare gifts. We don't ask Jesus to come to the yard sale. Here's the things I don't want anymore, and I'll just give them to you. We don't give them our spare. We give them all that we have. Because when we recognize that he's Lord, because he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all, right? When we recognize the value of Jesus Christ, he doesn't, gift, he doesn't get the leftovers of our life. He gets all of our life. How much value does Jesus hold in your life? I, I'm going to ask you that. And I, I'm just going to tell you, you've, you've had the gospel presented to you twice this morning. And I pray that there's conviction by the Spirit if you don't know him. Because Jesus Christ leads us to repentance. He leads us to surrender. He woos us into a right relationship with him. He does on our behalf what we cannot do for ourselves and calls us to be part of his family. And if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, him as Lord, I pray that this morning you do that. I don't care if you've been in church for five minutes or 50 years. If he's not Lord, make him Lord today. Because if Christ is not valued, because Christ is not valued at all unless he's valued above all. Does he hold value in your life? I'm going to close with this story. The band can go ahead and come up. There was a rich guy who uh, gave his wife expensive possessions, wonderful gifts. She never lacked any material possession. Her husband provided her with everything she ever wanted except for his time, his energy, and his focus. In order to gain and maintain the riches that they had, this man worked long hours. And when he was home, his focus was not on his wife. He was on his work. In contrast, there was a poor man in the same town. This poor man, he loved his wife, but he could not provide all the material pleasures of this world. Instead, he found ways to communicate that love with her by spending time with her, quality time together. Which of these two men do you think demonstrated the value of their wife? How do you demonstrate the value of Christ in your life? Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Please subscribe to hear new sermons each week.